Greetings, brothers and sisters, and welcome to the Book of John, the podcast companion to all my writing. And now, please turn in your books to chapter 40. The Day the Coyote Cried A couple months back, the news broke that Warner Brothers Studios was going to be shelving the movie Coyote vs. Acme, deleting it off their servers permanently, and taking an estimated $40 million tax write-off against the estimated $70 to $90 million budget of the movie. I've read differing opinions on the math of this decision, one legal trade saying the tax savings would be closer to $20 million, so the amounts being saved are uncertain. Suffice to say, in the grand scheme, Warner Brothers paid a possible $90 million and may be losing anywhere up to $70 million by never releasing it. I'm not an accountant, so this decision seems strange to me. I know that things are always in flux, and so the way business is handled one year is not the way business will be handled next year. I took a few classes at USC on the business and economics of movie studios, but that was over 20 years ago, so obviously many things have changed, and as my lawyer brother will often point out to me gleefully, what I learned there may not have the slightest relation to how things work now. Even so, one thing I learned in those classes was this. When a studio makes a movie, or a show, or whatever, the only way they can possibly profit on the thing is if it's released into the wild. In the late 90s, when I learned this notion, the idea of putting a movie on the shelf and never releasing it meant that the product was so bad, so utterly out of touch, so completely lacking in merit, that the studio would have to sincerely believe that the movie would never make money. That no human being, now or ever, would want to plunk down money to see it. That it was, perhaps, so offensive to the eye and ear that releasing it would possibly cost the reputation of whoever released it. Those type of movies do exist. They happen from time to time. But they're rarefied. I randomly typed unreleased movies into Google and got a number of articles with titles like 12 movies that have never seen the light of day. And most articles are around that number. 12. Not like 12 per year or 12 per studio. 12. Total. They each list different movies so you could make the case that maybe a couple dozen studio movies have gone unreleased. But this is over the last 50 or more years. We're talking as far back as 1971 with The Day the Clown Cried, a movie that is more famous nowadays for being unreleased than its perhaps questionable subject matter. If you haven't heard this delightful story, Jerry Lewis wanted to make a movie about a clown in a Nazi concentration camp who would use his humor to lure children to their death. He made the movie, then decided for whatever reason that it missed the mark terribly, and since he'd paid a huge chunk of its production cost, he was able to prevent it from ever being seen. And... Being unseen, it's become notorious for how supposedly bad it is. But then again, since that time, two other movies with the same subject matter have come to pass, Jacob the Liar and Life is Beautiful, and one got an Oscar, so who's to say? There are so many movies released in a single year, you would think that a couple dozen movies going unreleased in that time would just be par for the course. But up till recently, it just didn't happen. Studios had sunk millions of dollars in these turkeys, and the only way they were going to get any of that money back was to release the stinker and hope for the best. Maybe the audience would see something in it they didn't. Maybe it would be a random hit. Maybe it would become a cult film like the Rocky Horror Picture Show and get played every Saturday night in theaters across the country. You just never know. Yes, you want the money back right away, sure. But the home video market showed that any movie, no matter how shitty, no matter how incomprehensibly bad, could eventually make its money back. Or at least recoup some of its costs. Because anything is better than nothing, right? Except, in the here and now, in the era of streaming, nothing is apparently better than anything. This is the second movie that Warner Brothers has decided to unmake, Batgirl being the first on the chopping block last year. 
That one honestly seemed more like the kind of movie I was just talking about, i.e. the kind that the studio feared releasing it might stain its reputation. I have zero insider knowledge about the Batgirl movie. The directors worked on the Ms. Marvel show on Disney Plus last year, and that was fun, so I feel like the directors would have to have really tried hard to make something so bad it was unreleasable. But, let's face it, Warner Brothers has been having quite the crisis of conscience when it comes to their superhero fare. On the one hand, they have the character of Batman, who's been very good to them. There have been nine movies released with Batman as title character since 1989, and even the bad ones have made money. But there have only, debatably, been two bad ones. And all of them, even the bad ones, print money to this very day. The 1989 Batman movie still makes Warner Brothers so much money that they put the star, Michael Keaton, in at least two other DC movies recently, one of them being Batgirl, the last reboot of the character, The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson, has made them over a billion dollars in box office and ancillary products. Then, on the other hand, you have the DC Extended Universe, the DCEU, as it was terribly named, starting with Zack Snyder's Man of Steel, diverting famously into the Justice League Snyder Cut, and culminating in last year's Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. This set of movies has been the subject of so much online debate, I'm guessing history will be more interested in the debate than the movies themselves. Some of the movies did well, others not as much. Which is honestly about par for the course, but Warner Brothers has been eyeing the Marvel movies, and until recently, their amazing record of success after success, blockbuster after blockbuster. Warner Brothers has been wanting to eat Marvel's lunch for 15 years and been increasingly frustrated that they haven't been able to do it. There's endless reasons why, and maybe one day I'll throw you my two cents, but suffice to say the DCEU didn't become the MCU killer that Warner Brothers was aiming for. It's become such an issue for them, they famously hired James Gunn, the man responsible for the MCU's Guardians of the Galaxy movies, as well as the Peacemaker show and the Suicide Squad movie for the DCEU, to shepherd in the newest reboot of the somewhat better renamed DCU. This is another one of those famous moves from the Hollywood playbook. When there's a shift in leadership, as there has been at Warner Brothers Discovery, the first thing the new people do is throw out all the old stuff the people before them were working on. The old stuff is garbage. Behold the new hotness. Tale as old as time, and in the moment, it always seems like a good idea, but usually it just ends up being more of the same. Only difference here is that James Gunn has proven to be a man with a solid vision, so maybe it all works out. Anyway, point I was getting to is that Warner Brothers seems to be in the throes of an identity crisis. They want to be seen as serious people, so everything that came before gots to go. And maybe that's all that it is, clearing house in the regime that came before them, making way for the greatness to come. Using that lens, I can almost buy them ditching Batgirl. It's weird, it's extreme, and honestly, it's short-sighted. Like I said before, even the bad Batman movies are still making Warner Brothers money. The Joel Schumacher movies are often the butt of the joke, but make no mistake, there's a reason they play on cable every weekend. People still watch them, and now they're starting to enjoy a ticked-up reputation, much like the 60s Adam West Batman has. So the idea that they delete Batgirl forever, with no chance to make that money back, seems weird. Warner Brothers is basically giving up long-term money, decades worth of drip-drip cash, for a very quick, very short-term influx. But, if they're trying to make a name for the new people and show the amazing new direction of the DCU, maybe it's in their best interest to take the loss in favor of the great new content to come. Maybe ditching a single, possibly not-so-great bat film would be the corrective they need to get things up and rolling. Like I say, it stinks of corporate hack work rather than true long-term planning, but it seems like lately everything is about showing the stockholders growth right now, instead of showing how they're going to make the money for decades to come. But that's if you only consider Batgirl and the troublesome DCU in this whole equation. Coyote vs. Acme and the almost hundred years of Looney Tunes history is an entirely different bag of money. 
Looney Tunes is another one of those properties that has been making money for Warner Brothers for decades. Those old cartoons were paid off almost immediately in the grand scheme. Now, every time they show them somewhere, that's free money. They're not as popular as they once were. For Gen X, they were ubiquitous. My own daughter of Gen Alpha, or whatever they're calling it, has no idea who Bugs Bunny is. But you can still, for the moment anyway, watch Looney Tunes cartoons from the 1930s. They're slowly slipping down the memory hole and maybe one day they'll be forgotten. Except Space Jam, a movie from when dinosaurs roamed the Earth in 1996, still makes Warner Brothers money. Go ahead, for those of you who still subscribe to Terrestrial Cable, turn it on. I bet you can find Space Jam either on right now or about to play somewhere. The sequel, Space Jam A New Legacy, was a relative disappointment, only making $163 million against its $150 million budget, but again, that was this year. In 10 years, that movie will have made them millions more. It'll be a slow trickle, but again, something is better than nothing. And honestly, $163 million? That doesn't sound to me like a thing that's forgotten. Compare that to the Three Stooges movie using another century-old property that came out in 2012 and belly-flopped. Compared to something like that, Looney Tunes seems to be absolutely thriving. Now, I may be doing that thing that our parents, our grandparents, and everybody who was ever old and out of touch did, talking about the legacy of a thing that's already forgotten. But every time the Looney Tunes are sort of written off as old news, they make a new movie or a new show, and a whole new generation is folded in. In the 90s, it was Animaniacs, a show so beloved that it now is getting its own revival. And maybe, just maybe, the movie that would have been this generation's gateway drug would have been Coyote vs. Acme. But now we'll never know. And yes, that's an easy argument to make, the what-if of the whole thing. But consider, when Warner Brothers made the news weeks ago with the announcement that they weren't going to release Coyote, people went crazy. Other studios offered them vast sums of money for the rights to distribute the movie for them. Does this sound like the kind of property that people think is just going to fade away? Crying out loud, movie star John Cena is in it. Surely a face of that caliber could get a few million bucks. This week it came out that Warner Brothers wasn't even considering offers under 75 to $80 million for distribution rights, and since that hadn't been met, the movie was probably getting deleted. Considering that's close to the estimated budget of the film and that the buyer wouldn't own it outright, it sounds to a lot of folks like Warner Brothers was trying to not only have their cake, but stick their dick in it before anyone else could eat a piece. In other words, the whole notion of them letting someone else distribute it was probably a smokescreen, unless of course the interested party was willing to not only pay to distribute, but basically pay the whole tab for something they would not ultimately own. I'm sure there's some studio who would ultimately feel it worth the risk for a possible hit, except they have their own dick size to consider, and bowing down to Warner Brothers for a single movie that might indeed flop probably has given them pause. Maybe better to let Warner Brothers take the heat for deleting the movie and denying it to the world forever than to risk that kind of money and reputation. And that's the real question now. Are these movies really gone forever, quote-unquote? Much ballyhoo has been made of these movies being deleted, deleted from, from the, the server. server. Except, unless you're deleting not only every copy of the movie, but all the footage that was shot and all accompanying materials constructed for it, are these films really gone for good, or are they just sitting in storage somewhere, much like the day the clown cried? Will a new regime one day take over the newly configured Warner Brothers slash Discovery slash Disney slash Paramount and announce, Hey kids, remember those movies your parents were so butthurt about not being released? Well, here they are on holographic home video in a deluxe two-pack liquid storage case, Batgirl and Coyote vs. Acme.
I mean, maybe you laugh, but just a couple weeks ago, it was announced that The Clown That Cried was finally going to be pulled from the vault and available in the Library of Congress. That means that the eyeballs that initially see it will definitely be limited, but even a movie that the creator never wanted anybody to see will one day be seen. Given such inevitability, how does that sweet tax write-off work? Will WB have to pay that money back to the IRS if those movies see the light of day? If not, then why, as many people noted this week, can't these movies be shifted into the public domain or some similar arrangement since we, the taxpaying public, are essentially paying the tab on these unseen movies? Again, before now, getting a tax write-off for a movie that has been shot and either partially or fully completed has never been considered an option. I don't know what's changed in tax law in the last few years, though I can certainly hazard a guess. Namely, the same thing that allowed every corporation in America to reap in billions at the cost of the taxpayer. I can also hazard a guess as to how soon this type of corporate action is going to start drawing legal trouble. I don't know if movie star John Cena is contractually able to sue Warner Brothers for not releasing Coyote, but he can certainly see his way toward not being in one of their future movies if he were peeved enough about it. And maybe suing them for possible bonuses and royalties he'll now never see. Ask Disney how that worked out in their little skirmish with Scarlett Johansson. Given that movie star John Cena is the star of one of their new DCU franchises, that might pose a little bit of a problem for WB. More likely, he might just start having it contractually obligated that if he makes a movie, that studio has to release it or be forced to pay him again. Ask the Salkins how that kind of short-sighted thinking paid off with their Three Musketeers movies. And if none of this is possible, there is every reason to believe that the big names just won't go to Warner Brothers. Unless they have to. Sure, they'll get the people that need to pay their bills, but if the Scorseses of the world peddle their papers elsewhere, Warner Brothers is going to be hard-pressed to compete. As P. Diddy said in the movie Made, you fucking with my money now. Me, I'm just hoping that Coyote vs. Acme becomes available in my lifetime. I was actually looking forward to seeing it. Especially movie star John Cena. He's dreamy. Good to see you all once again. You can reach me at thebookofjohnpodcast at gmail.com or you can go to thebookofjohnpodcast.com and click to any of my social medias. There's going to be a no-touch Valentine's Day dance for the kids on Wednesday. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.